Sega! Sega? <laughs> We're talking about Sega. Oh, sad Sega. Yeah, this is gonna be the this is the next in the the I guess you could say the company series, yeah. as we can call it. Um, uh, I think we talked about it in the last uh, last uh, few episodes ago or something like that. I think when we were doing Nintendo, we planned on doing like a company, a few of their big games, and then so we can move through the companies better and in a decent time frame. <laughs> but we got we we got a plan. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, the, one of the other uh, big hitters of the Japanese game market today, uh, other than Nintendo. Ye old Sega. And so uh, the Sega Corporation. Yeah, the um, of course is Japanese is Japanese multinational uh, video game and uh, entertainment company, and its headquarters is in uh, Sh- uh, Shinagawa, Tokyo. Um, and its international branches are Sega of America and Sega Europe. So kind of like what Nintendo has, they have multiple branches in other countries as well. As far as I know, they uh Sega only has these two though. They don't have like uh what Nintendo has, where it's like like Nintendo of America, Nintendo of like different like different branches of it set in like multiple areas in Europe and stuff like that in Australia. Yeah, I don't think they do. Um. But yeah, the the uh, Sega of America is headquartered in Irvine, California. I think that's how you say that. Yeah. Uh, and then the Sega of Europe is uh, is London, which I think um, I know Nintendo has like Germany. I think they have one in London or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head off the research we did. I don't remember. Uh, but anyway. Um, and uh, it's division for the development of both arcade games and home video games uh, is Sega Games. And uh, it's existed in its current state since 2020. Uh, and from 2015 to that point, uh, the two had made up uh, separate entities known as Sega Games and Sega Interactive Company Limited. I think that's what LTD means. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, Sega is also a subsidiary of uh, Sega Group Corporation, uh, and it's a part of uh, Sega Sammy uh, Holdings, uh, and from 1983 until 2001. Uh, and then Sega also developed uh, video game consoles just like Nintendo and everybody else did. Which everybody else had their foot in the console market at that time. Well, I mean, that was the way to go. Yeah. I mean, but during this time and like going in, like going in the eighties, if you didn't have a console, you didn't have shit. No. That's just the way it was. I mean, then again, I think the the PlayStation was after the nineties, wasn't it? It was like mid nineties. Yeah. Mid late nineties. Yeah, like from the eighties into the mid 90s going towards the 2000s just about every company had a console by that yeah point. and it was definitely japanese run at that point oh yeah you had nintendo you had sega then you had uh the playstation then mm. the xbox came out around that time too yeah which nowadays like everybody mainly thinks of, like the playstation and the xbox when mm. they think of consoles they don't really think of nintendo as a console and the or, big and sega hasn't made a console since <laughs> yeah, they have no need to make a console. Anymore. No, they just they pretty much just write off Nintendo now. Pretty much. And giving like having their properties on other consoles, like with Persona and uh, Atlas having it on PlayStation and everything like that. Yeah. 
and SMT being on the Switch. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Um, now, interesting fact. <laughs> I didn't even realize this until we... Uh, I sat down to get all this information and everything, and it surprised me because I never really looked into Sega too much. Just because, to my honest opinion, to me, Sega's not one of the biggest companies. It's all, To me, it's always been lackluster because they only have, like, three games that everybody knows about and one of them isn't even really their company it's like their subsidiary company yeah so i mean like they have sonic like the biggest ones that i can think of coming to mind are sonic um yakuza yakuza and then the persona and smt games that's like and persona yeah that's atlas which is like the under branch of sega yeah which what game was it that we were looking at that was an anime game but that was actually made by sega uh, that was Demon Slayer. That was Demon Slayer? Yeah, it was made by Sega. Okay. Um, which might, it might actually be pretty decent. I might, uh, I kind of want to try it. As long as it's not... It's not Bandai Namco. Yeah, as long as it's not them, then I'm pretty sure the anime game is going to be okay. Just every fighting game made, published by Bandai Namco is just copy-paste garbage. Yeah. <laughs> square, 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 triangle, then you do a super. Yeah. Or if you're feeling real daring and fancy, you can do an ultimate. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's like playing old God of War, but if you were limited to like one good combo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like all you had was the generic slashes. That's all it was. You yeah, didn't have anything else. You, there's no mixing up to these no. at all. I mean, you can And do... if you try, it punishes you. Yeah. It's just stupid. Anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> um So, the the fun fact I was getting at was that Sega was founded by American businessmen. <laughs> Which I didn't even realize. I never really looked into it, so like I was saying, so I didn't really... This this caught me off guard. But their names were uh, Martin Bromley and uh, uh, Richard Stewart and uh, uh, as Nihon Goraku Busan uh, on June 3rd of 1960. So, and then shortly after, the company acquired the assets of its uh, predecessor, Service Games of Japan. So... That's pretty much how it was like became the a Japanese thing. Uh, five years later, the company became known as Sega Enterprises Limited uh, after acquiring uh, Rosen Enterprises, and that's uh, they were an importer of coin-operated games. So pretty much just arcade games is a fancy way of saying that. Yeah. Just you know, like you put your coin in, you play it, you die, you put another coin in. That's all it is. Um, which honestly, describing an arcade game as a coin-operated game. Makes sense, but doesn't. Yeah. Because all you do is put the coin in, and it allows you to press a button. Mm-hmm. And then you operate the game. Yeah. So, I mean, really, like, technically, that explanation, that describing it in that way makes sense, but doesn't. Yeah. It's just weird. But, uh, Sega developed uh, its first uh, arcade game, Periscope, in 1966, and uh, Sega was sold to Gulf and Western Industries in 1969. And fo- uh, following a downturn in the arcade business in the 1980s, Sega began to develop video game consoles. And they started with the SG-1000 uh, and Master System. So, I mean, that was pretty much how everybody went at this time. The game video game crash happens. They just, they're like, well, this ain't working. Consoles. Let's just, <laughs> let's just pump shit out. Yeah. This is, I mean, the pumping shit out was what caused it. Yeah. So, I mean, 
But of course, you know, they make those uh, two consoles and everything, but they, of course, they struggled against uh, their competitors, which were Nintendo uh, the, with the NES. And in 84, uh, Sega executives David Rosen and uh, Hayao Nakayama. Hayao Nakayama. Okay, yeah. there you go. Uh, led a, they led a management buyout of the company with uh, backing from uh, CSK Corporation. So already, like that was that was pretty much just like a a bit of not uh, a bit of insight through like it's basically like a really short of like some important stuff that happened in some of the history. Yeah, because nothing really important has happened throughout Sega's history. Sega has probably some of the least interesting history that you could have as a video game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so far from what I've seen, it it like Nintendo's is interesting. Sony's is interesting. Hell, Microsoft is interesting, yeah. <laughs> but Sega. Th- just, this is just like like Sega the most interesting point. The most interesting point of their history is them competing with Nintendo. Yeah, as about like that, because because if it wasn't for that happening, then they wouldn't have made Sonic. Yeah, because everybody wanted a mascot. Mm-hmm. And you have your blue rolling turd because <laughs> you know Nintendo got Mario, so everybody needed one. So they got mm-hmm. they got Sonic. I don't even really. I can't even really say that. I don't think Sony really had a mascot. So I guess you could say Crash at the time it was like for a well, while. Crasher. How old are the Sly Cooper games? Either Crash, Sly, or like maybe Spyro. Yeah, like those were like big ones. But, but no one's ever been a, a definite head. Yeah, no, not like Mario has for yeah, Nintendo. No one's been just or a, Sonic for Sega. No. But like or like Mark, I don't. I can't even think of anything Microsoft would have had to have been Master Chief, Master Chief would be is, about the only mascot they got. Master Chief is literally the only mascot that they have. They could put a race car on there and say it's Forza. <laughs> put Master Chief in a Ferrari. There you go. Pretty, <laughs> um. So, uh, of course, they produced uh, several multi-million selling uh, game franchises, including Sonic the Hedgehog, Total War, and Yakuza, um, as well as Monkey Ball. Yeah, Monkey Ball too. So yeah, Monkey Ball is actually fairly popular. Fun fact: we were go- well, I mean, we we're going to go over this more probably in like whenever we do like a Yakuza episode or something like that. But the the head developer of Yakuza before he did Yakuza was the head developer of Super Monkey Ball. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that fighting game that they have? Virtual Fighter. Yeah, Virtual Fighter. Yeah. And uh, as one of the world's most prolific arcade game producers, uh, with uh, long running series uh, uh, like Virtual Fighter, like we just said. And uh, the initial deed arcade stage. <laughs> and also the original Sonic, which I'm going to go ahead and say it, but like the original Sonic game was an arcade game. And it had one of those like, um, one of like those little like ball joystick. Basically, it's a ball joystick. Kind, kind, of, kind of like the, uh, the like if you go like, to like arcade, the, like the bowling little arcade or, games. Or like how if you like went into Applebee's, they had that little golf yeah, arcade. Like it's just it a ball. ball. And yeah, it, it, it had a ball and like the Sonic mascot wasn't even, wasn't, I don't even think it was Sonic. It was like something completely different. Like all the, like all the people were completely different and you just controlled the character by making them. Don't quote me. From what I remember, which we'll go over more in the actual Sonic episode, it to me it looked like a different Temple Run. Yeah, kind of. Which we'll probably go over some of that here if I remember correctly. Uh, but so yeah, the um, its name and branding were used for affiliated companies that operate uh, amusement arcades and produce other entertainment products, uh, including Sega toys. And uh, 
These are largely uh, separate ventures, though. Uh, but uh, Sega is recognized for its video game consoles, and mainly, and uh, apparently creativity and innovations. <laughs> uh, and in more recent years, uh, it's been criticized for its business decisions and the quality of its creative output. <laughs> quote <laughs> but uh so in may uh in 1940 uh may 1940 uh of course those uh businessmen that i mentioned earlier uh martin bromley irving uh, bromberg and james humpert formed uh standard games in uh honolulu hawaii and uh they aimed to provide uh arcade machines uh including slot machines <laughs> to uh military bases as the uh increase in personal personnel with the onset of uh, world war ii would create demand for entertainment which is not a bad move <laughs> <laughs> just look at how many people smoked back then yeah you could tell somebody anything in the 40s and they would have believed you i mean how they had they had like cigarette vending machines yeah it's like hey this 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 like this makes you feel great all right let me light one up five years later man why well, i got cancer <laughs> Sadly enough, for as despicable as the man was, Hitler was like one of the only people back then that actually ran campaigns against cigarettes because him and his team figure out that it gave you fucking cancer. Yet him and like all of his people took meth. Yeah. <laughs> How do we keep our tank drivers going? Gives them chocolate meth. <laughs> yeah, for real, off topic here, but like basically if you don't know, tank divisions... Uh, in the German military during World War II were given chocolate bars that were called Panzer Schokolade. And basically what it is, it literally just means tank chocolate. Panzer in German is tank and chocolate is chocolate. <laughs> and it was chocolate with meth in it. Yes. They ate chocolate bars full of... And these were big-ass chocolate bars. We're talking about like some like some like, king-size Hershey shit. Like, like, <laughs> like these were like actual like ration sizes. <laughs> yeah, they were... <laughs> You talk about having your man wired. <laughs> uh, I see him. He's a mile away. <laughs> what do your meth eyes see? What do your meth eyes see? <laughs> Hans, what do your meth eyes see? Uh, of course, after the war, uh, the founders sold Standard Games in uh, 1945 and in uh, 46, uh, established Service Games and uh, named for the military focus. Um, and after the United States government outlawed slot machines in its territories in 1952, uh, Bromley sent employees uh, Richard Stewart and Ray Lemaire to Tokyo to establish uh, service games of Japan to provide uh, coin-operated slot machines to U.S. bases in Japan. Loopholes. <laughs> uh, and a year later, all five men established service games Panama, to control the uh, entities of service games worldwide, and the company expanded over the next seven years to include uh, distribution in South Korea, the Philippines, and South Vietnam. So, yeah, they're getting all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta make money. Yep. And uh, the name Sega uh, is an abbreviation of uh, service games uh, and was first used in uh, 1954 on a slot machine, uh, the Diamond Star. Yeah. So, fun fact. <laughs> They've had the name Sega since 1954. Yeah. Which I didn't even know that. I figured it would have been like, you know... A more modern I thing. thought it would have been like at least the 70s. I didn't even know Sega was an abbreviation for anything. I thought it was just Sega. Yeah, I didn't know it was an abbreviation either. 
Um, Due to notoriety arising from investigations by the U.S. government into criminal business practices, uh, of course, Service Games of Japan was dissolved on May 31st of 1960, and on June 3rd, Bromley established two companies to take over its business activities, uh, Nihon, uh, Nihon Goraku Busan and Nihon uh, Kikai Saizo. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, two new uh, two new companies purchased all of uh, Service Games of Japan's assets, uh, Kikai Saizo, and uh, doing business as Sega Incorporated, uh, focused on manufacturing slot machines. So yeah, Sega pretty much started out in the gambling trade <laughs> mainly, which uh, I, which I, I'm not sure about. Which I guess about. technically you could make an argument that like an arcade game is technically gambling. Well, no, because you're not really getting you're not you're not getting a reward out of it. You're just paying for a service. You're not. I getting, mean, you could technically say that the reward you get out of it is trying to beat the game. But that's still you're not getting like an actual like like physical reward. You're not getting yeah. any kind of any not, cash from it. Yeah, you're not getting like any that. kind of capital from it or anything. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just like me paying a stripper and like getting a lap dance. That's that's not gambling. I'm just getting a really good service. <laughs> 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 which i don't know if you're willing to take a gamble and try to do stuff then yeah at that point that is gambling but that's just with your life yeah <laughs> um so uh garaku busan uh doing business under stewart as uh udomatic yeah. yeah, incorporated udomatic udomatic okay uh, served as a uh, distributor and operator of coin-operated machines and uh, particularly jukeboxes. And the companies merged in 1964, retaining the Nihon Garaku Busan name. And uh, during the same time frame, David Rosen, an American officer in the United States Air Force, stationed in Japan, launched a photo booth business in Tokyo in 1954. And this company became uh, Rosen Enterprises, and in 1957, began importing coin-operated games into Japan. In 1965, Nihon uh, Garaku Busan acquired Rosen Enterprises to form Sega Enterprises Limited. So basically, like Sega, just kind of they, they like built themselves technically. If you, you like, if you think about it, it's just like they they start somewhere, go to a bunch of different places. Form with somebody else, buy somebody out, get bought out, get somebody else runs it, then they buy something else. It's just like a whole bunch <laughs> of shit going on here. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's just kind of rocketing across the earth, all over the place. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, so yeah, they they became Sega Enterprises, and Rosen uh, was installed as the CEO and managing director while Stewart was named president and Lemaire was the director of planning. Uh, shortly afterward, uh, Sega stopped leasing um, the uh, to military bases and moved its focus from slot machines to coin-operated amusement machines, and its imports included uh, Rock Ola jukeboxes, pinball games by Williams, and uh, gun games by Midway Manufacturing, which Midway we talked about in uh, actually in our first episode. They were the people that handled distribution of arcade machines in the States. Yeah. So, yeah, like Pac-Man and all that and everything. So, fun fact. <laughs> um, uh, because Sega imported second-hand machines, uh, which required frequent maintenance, it began constructing replacement guns and flippers for its imported games. 
So that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, according to former Sega director uh, Akira Nagai, where'd, where'd that be? Oh yeah, Akira Nagai. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was all right. The, uh, this led to the um, company developing its own games, and the first arcade uh, electromechanical game they say here. Uh, Sega manufactured was the submarine simulator Periscope, and that released worldwide in the late 1960s. Uh, it featured light and sound effects, considered innovative, and was successful in Japan. It was uh, exported um, to malls and department stores in Europe and the United States and helped uh, standardize the 25 cent per play cost for arcade games in the U.S., uh, uh, Sega was surprised by the success, so. And uh, for the next two years, the company produced the uh, worldwide success of uh, Periscope led to a technological renaissance in the arcade industry, which was reinvigorated by a wave of audiovisual EM novelty games that followed in the wake of Periscope during the late 1960s to early 1970s. And, uh, however, rampant piracy led Sega to cease exporting its games around 1970. You gotta love piracy. <laughs> Good old piracy. Piracy's everywhere, man. <laughs> Shit, don't want to watch a movie? Pirate it. You wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> you remember those old commercials? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> All the VHSs? You wouldn't steal a purse. <laughs> you wouldn't steal a house. <laughs> so why steal movies? <laughs> I don't know, nowadays I find myself being an NFT pirate. <laughs> Which, in all honesty, if you, I, I, don't, I don't care who you are. If you believe in NFTs, you're a fool. You're a damn fool. All it is, NFTs is like, it's just Avon for men. That, that, yeah. That's all it is. It's just, it's, <laughs> that's all it is. It's just Avon for men. That's retarded. <laughs> oh. Uh, in 1969, Sega was sold to American conglomerate uh, Gulf uh, and Western Industries. Although Rosen remained CEO, uh, and in 1974, Gulf and Western made Sega Enterprises Limited a subsidiary of an American company renamed Sega Enterprises Incorporated. Um, Sega released Pongtron, its first video game, uh, video-based game, let me say that, in 1973, and despite uh, late competition from Taito's hit arcade game Space Invaders in 1978, Sega prospered from the arcade video game boom of the late 1970s. So that's when everything pretty much blew up. Yeah. Um, uh, with revenues climbing to over uh, 100 million U.S., which is a lot. <laughs> and that was, they reached those numbers by 1979. Uh, during this period, Sega acquired Gremlin Industries, <laughs> which manufactured uh, microprocessor-based arcade games and Esco um, Bueki. Let me, uh, let me let me let me get uh, let me get Google to. Uh, I'm gonna say Bueki. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna get Google to pronounce that for me. <laughs> Esco Bueki. That, oh, oh, that's just Japanese. Let me uh let me, let me go to Google Translate. Oh God, hey, this is gonna take. Anyway, you can keep going. Let's go. I'm gonna say Bueki, uh, a coin op distributor uh, founded and owned by uh, Hayao Nakayama. Nakayama was placed in a management role of Sega's Japanese operations, and in early the 1980s, Sega was one of the top five arcade game manufacturers active in the United States as company rev uh, revenues 
rose to 214 million. Uh, and 1979 saw the release of Head On. Yeah, boy. Okay, so I was right. Yeah, they saw the release of Head On, which introduced the... Uh, Head e- On, e- apply directly to the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you brought back a memory I didn't want. <laughs> Head On, apply directly to the forehead. Head On, apply directly We're, to the forehead. It's <laughs> fucking commercial, I swear. It's like if we didn't get the point by now that we are supposed to apply directly to the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, how many times did they repeated like six I, times i don't know they said it to the point to where i mean if you did not know that you applied it to your damn forehead then you had it <laughs> it sounded like they were applying something else to their forehead <laughs> how many times they freaking repeated it but anyway yeah so head on which introduced the eat the dots gameplay namco later used in pac-man and in 1981, Sega uh, licensed Frogger, its most successful game until then. Uh, and in 1982, Sega introduced the first game with isometric graphics, Zaxxon. Mm. Good old isometric. I'm yeah. sure everybody's played at least like one isometric game in their life. Yeah. Old Frogger. If you don't know what Frogger is, why did the frog cross the road what? to get ran over by an 18-wheeler? Pretty much. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, following a downturn in the arcade business starting in 82 this is when the video game crash started coming around uh, Gulf and Western uh, sold its North American arcade game manufacturing organization and licensing rights for its arcade games to Bailey Manufacturing and in- Bali Bali yeah because yeah, it doesn't okay. have an I in there okay, so yeah, it'd so probably be Bali Manufacturing B-A-L-L-Y yeah if either it's Bali or Bailey one or the other uh, and, and in September 1983, uh, Gulf and Western retained Sega's North American R&D operation and its Japanese subsidiary, Sega Enterprises, uh, Limited. I hate the fact that I have to preference that. Because there's Sega Enterprises Limited and there's Sega Enterprises Incorporated, incorporated. which is stupid. <laughs> Come up with two different names. But anyway, so Limited, which is the Japanese side, um... With its arcade business in decline, Sega Enterprises Limited, uh, President Nakayama advocated for the company to use its hardware expertise to move into the home consumer market in Japan, and this led to Sega's development of a computer, uh, the SC3000, learning that Nintendo was developing a games-only console, the Famicom. Sega developed its first home video game console, the SG-1000, uh, alongside the... uh, SC-3000 and rebranded versions of the SG-1000 were released in several other markets worldwide. So this is when they start getting into that competition. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody's in a competition. The juicy bits. Everybody wants that money, but they don't have so much money to go. <laughs> uh, the SG-1000 sold 160,000 units in 1983, which far exceeded Sega's projection of 50,000. <laughs> Uh, in the first year, but um, was outpaced by the Famicom. I'm just going to tell you right now, if your projection for your console is only 50000 you have no hope for yourself. <laughs> you literally think bad of your company. That you're going to have a stillborn dream. Because you got to like look like look at the sales of consoles throughout history. Like 50000 is sad. 
I think Google Stadia has done better than that. <laughs> Let me look that up real quick. And by the way, we're not going to go... I'm pretty sure we're not going to go over Google Stadia. Nah, if we do, I it'll mean, just be a row session. Probably. <laughs> Let me look that up real quick. Google Stadia. Uh, while he does that, I'm going to keep going. Uh, but yeah, so they, they, out, they didn't outpace the Famicom. And this was part uh, in part because Nintendo expanded his game library by courting third-party developers, whereas Sega was hesitant to collaborate with comp companies uh, with which it was competing in the arcades. So they kind of didn't want the enemy of my enemy to be my friend kind of thing. <laughs> Nintendo didn't care. They wanted that them fresh, them fresh yin. <laughs> um, in November 1983, Rosen announced the intention to step down as president of Sega Enterprises Incorporated uh, on January 1st, 1984. And Jeffrey uh, Rochlis, some uh, it's R O C H L I S. If you know how to pronounce that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, was announced as the new president and COO of Sega. And shortly after the launch of the SG-1000 and the death of company founder Charles uh, Bludham, uh, Gulf and Western began to sell off its secondary businesses. Uh, Nakayama and Rosen arranged a management buyout of the Japanese subsidiary in 1984 with financial uh, backing from CSK Corporation a prominent Japanese software company, and Sega's Japanese assets were purchased for $38 million by a group of investors led by Rosen and Nakayama. Uh, Isao Okawa, head of CSK, became chairman while Nakayama uh, was installed as CEO of Sega Enterprises Limited. So yeah, a whole lot of buyout <laughs> happens in this company for some reason. I don't know why. I, don't th I think so far, like... Because like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't know a lot about Sega until doing research for this. Of course, it just never really interested me that much. But in terms of the companies that I do know a little about, I'm pretty sure Sega has had the most buyouts. Yeah, probably. And merges out of all just the video like games throughout, throughout its entire history. Yeah, out of all the video game companies. I couldn't pull up any specific numbers on the Google Stadia. But, uh, it, of course, it's not doing well at all. I wouldn't imagine it is. I mean, I don't it, I don't like the idea of just a strictly cloud-based gaming service. So, basically, you're having to, like, stream your game as you go, which I think is awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just look at PlayStation Now. I mean, PlayStation Now is not bad of a subscription service, but... It hardly has shit on it that you might want to play. And on it's top of no that, Game Pass. All the stuff that is on there that's not PS4, you can't even download. You have to stream. Yeah, which is stupid. So if you don't have good internet, good luck playing any of those. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Game Pass is way better. Oh yeah, way, way, way better. And I hate to say that because I love PlayStation. But, but they ain't doing it right. <laughs> no. Um, in the 19 of 85... Sega began working on the Mark III, which was a redesigned SG-1000. Uh, and for North America, Sega rebranded the Mark III as the Master System, with a futuristic design intended to appeal to Western tastes. And the Mark III was released in Japan in October of 1985. I have noticed, for some reason, Japanese companies think that we have completely different views of stuff than they do. 
like in terms of tastes. Just like uh, you know, Dragon Quest was turning changed to Dragon Warrior over here. Yeah. It had completely different art for it and everything. I mean, Dragon Quest looked cooler. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's cartoony, but it's it's drawn by Kira Toriyama. Of course it's cartoony. <laughs> <laughs> but uh despite featuring uh more powerful hardware than the Famicom in some ways, it was unsuccessful at launch as Nintendo required third-party developers not to publish their Famicom games on other consoles, Sega developed its own games and obtained the rights to port games from other developers. Uh, and to help the market the console... Uh, to help uh, to help market the console in North America... I'm sorry, I, I got slight dyslexia. <laughs> um, Sega planned to sell the Master System as a uh, toy, similar to how Nintendo had done with the Nintendo Entertainment System. Sent them. What the, what the hell is up with me today? Uh, Sega partnered with Tonka. Ooh, yeah. Tonka truck. Tonka truck. I got me a Tonka truck. Uh, an American toy company, uh, which I'm pretty sure everybody's probably seen a Tonka toy if you live in the States. I don't know about other countries or not. I don't know how far they reach. I think they're just in the States, though. But like they're just the big yellow bulldozer trucks and shit like that yeah. you can buy for kids. Um. But yeah, they partnered to make uh, use of Tonka's expertise in the toy industry. Uh, and ineffective marketing by Tonka handicapped sales of the Master System. And by early 1992, production had ceased in North America, and the Master System sold between 1.5 million and 2 million units in the region. So, the Master System still sold more than the SG-1000 did. Yeah. Because the SG-1000 only sold like... 150,000. 160,000. Yeah. Which is a low number. <laughs> um, yeah, that's extremely low. But this was, uh, of course, this was less market share uh, in North America than both Nintendo and Atari, which controlled 80% and 12% of the market, respectively. Um, the Master System was evenly, uh, eventually a success in uh, Europe, where its sales were comparable to the NES. And as of uh, late 1993, the Master System's uh, active installed user base in Europe was 6.25 uh, million units. And the Master System uh, has had continued success in Brazil. <laughs> and new versions continue to be released by Sega's partner in the region, Tech Toy. And by 2016, the Master System had sold 8 million units in Brazil. God damn. Just Brazil. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's so dumb. I feel, I feel bad for it. I feel bad for y'all. That was in 2016. That's sad. That was, that was when we graduated. Yeah. <laughs> We're young, by the way. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, hell, if they can make a profit, make a profit somewhere. I thought that was the wackest shit. <laughs> Man, them Brazilians love some Sega, apparently. <laughs> uh, during 1984, Sega opened its European division of arcade distribution, Sega Europe, and it re-entered the North American arcade market in uh, 1985 with the establishment of Sega Enterprises USA at the end of a deal with uh, either Bali or Bailey, whichever one that is. It's that name again. Uh, the release of Hang On uh, in 1985 approved successful in the region, and becoming so popular that Sega struggled to keep up with uh, demand for the game. So, 
huh <laughs> sounds familiar <laughs> uh ufo catcher was uh introduced in 1985 and as of 2005 was Japan's most commonly installed claw crane game. And in 1986, Sega of America was established to manage the company's consumer products mm. in North America, beginning with marketing the Master System. A whole lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, during Sega's partnership with Tonka, however, uh, interestingly enough, Sega of America relinquished marketing and distribution of the console and focused on consumer support and some localization of games, uh, such as OutRun, uh, released in 1986, became Sega's best-selling arcade cabinet of the 1980s. And former Sega director Akira Nagai said, Hang On and OutRun helped to pull the arcade game market out of the 1982 downturn and created new genres of video games. Bold. <laughs> Bold statement. It's possible, but I'm not. I'm, I wasn't alive then, so I don't know. <laughs> um, with the arcade game market once again growing, Sega was one of the most recognized uh, game brands at the end of the 1980s. And in the arcades, the company focused on uh, releasing games to appeal to diverse tastes, including racing games and side scrollers. Sega released the Master System successor, the Mega Drive, in Japan on October 29, 1988. And the launch was overshadowed by Nintendo's release of Super Mario Bros. 3 a week earlier. Uh, positive coverage from magazines of uh, Famitsu, which that was the uh, that's the uh, magazine that did the interview with Sakurai. That I was trying to remember the name of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and Beep with an exclamation point <laughs> uh, <laughs> helped uh, establish a following, and with the uh, latter launching a. Uh, with the latter launching a new uh, publication dedicated to the console, but Sega shipped only 400,000 units in the first year. So, it did nowhere near as good as Nintendo's did, just because... Nintendo was on top of their shit. Yeah. The Mega Drive struggled to compete with the Famicom and lagged behind the Super Famicom and NEC's uh, PC engine. And in Japanese sales throughout the 16-bit era for the North American launch... There, where the console was renamed Genesis, hey, <laughs> Sega had no sales and marketing organization uh, during that time, however. And after um, Atari declined an offer to market the console in the region, Sega launched its uh, launched it through its own Sega of America subsidiary. The Genesis was launched in New York City and Los Angeles on August 14, 1989, and in the rest of North America later that year, the, and the European version of the Mega Drive was released uh, in September of 1990. So, this is when we get to the the, the more well-known history of Sega, probably. Um, with yeah, the Genesis sure. and everything. Genesis was not a good console. <laughs> I don't care what they say. I don't care. You can fight me. Genesis was not a good console. <laughs> this shit was whack. <laughs> um, and, of course, I didn't like the... Uh, we had a Genesis and everything, but of course I didn't play it anywhere near as much as the Nintendo stuff, just because it had you know Zelda and stuff. Better but, games in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, former Atari executive uh, and new Sega of America president Michael Katz, with a Z at the end. Um, so as it would be Katz. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, developed a two-part strategy to build sales in North America, and the first part involved a marketing campaign to challenge Nintendo and emphasize the more um, arcade-like experience available on the Genesis, with slogans including, Genesis does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> but there's still a lot of things that Nintendo don't. <laughs> and since Nintendo owned the console rights uh, to most arcade games of the time, the second part involved creating a library of games which used the names and likenesses of celebrities such as Michael Jackson's Moonwalker oh, I and about Joe that. Montana Football. I forgot about Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. <laughs> that game is so bad. And of course, uh, Sega had difficulty overcoming Nintendo's... Uh, ubiquity in homes <laughs> uh, and despite being tasked by Nakayama to sell a million units in the first year Cats and Sega of America sold only 500,000 so despite their bold choices of marketing and going balls of the wall on it they still couldn't do shit they, they sold half of what they needed to <laughs> I'd be surprised they sold that much with a phrase like that that was horrible Horrible. That's like as bad as somebody saying a really bad fucking pun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all that was, was a yeah. bad pun. Um, after the launch of the Genesis, Sega sought a new flagship line of release releases to compare with Nintendo's Mario series. And its new character, Sonic the Hedgehog, went on to feature in one of the best-selling video game franchises in history, Sonic the Hedgehog. Fun <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> and began with a tech demo created by Yuji Naka um, involving a fast-moving character rolling in a ball throughout a winding tube. This was the fleshed out. Uh, this was fleshed out with uh, Naoto Oshima's uh, character design and levels conceived by designer Hirokazu Yashuhara. And uh, Sonic's color was chosen to match Sega's cobalt blue logo. And his shoes were inspired by Michael Jackson's boots. <laughs> and his personality uh, by Bill Clinton's can-do attitude. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sonic be getting that good good onto the counter, too. <laughs> <laughs> the pink one is just Monica Lewinsky. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> <to> go fast. <laughs> oh, uh, Nakayama uh, hired uh, Tom Kaze uh, Kalinsky. Pointed out. Yeah, it's Kalinsky. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kalinsky. As uh, CEO of Sega of America in mid-1990, uh, and Katz departed soon after, and Kalinsky uh, knew little about the video game market, uh, but surrounded himself with uh, industry-savvy advisors about what I would be if I owned a business. <laughs> Um, and a believer in the razor and blades business model, he developed a four point plan. He cut the price of the Genesis, create a U.S. uh, his plan basically was to cut the price of the Genesis, create a U.S. team to develop games targeted at the American market, expand the aggressive advertising campaigns, and replace the bundled game Altered Beast with Sonic the Hedgehog. Never even heard of that game in my life. <laughs> And uh, the Japanese board of directors disapproved, but it was approved by Nakayama, uh, who told Kalinsky, I hired you to make the decisions for Europe and the Americas, so go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <clears throat> bold. <laughs> and so that's like the only thing that comes to my mind when I think of, like, so far reading, like, doing the research and everything on this Nakayama dude is just bold. <laughs> 
And so, uh, due to the popularity of Sonic the Hedgehog, the Genesis outsold its main competitor, the SNES, uh, in the United States nearly two uh, to one during the 1991 holiday season. By January 1992, Sega controlled 65% of the 16-bit console market, and Sega outsold Nintendo for four consecutive Christmas seasons due to the Genesis's, uh, Genesis's, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, it'd just be Genesis. Because there's... Cause what, just, just, I hate plurals on the end of words with <laughs> S's, but the, the Genesis Head Start, uh, Head Start lower price and a larger library compared to the SNES at release. Also, the SNES had that one really bad Batman game, which probably didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo's uh, dollar share of the U.S. 16-bit market dropped from 60% at the end of 1992 to 37% at the end of 1993. And Sega claimed 55% of all 16-bit hardware sales during 1994, and the SNES outsold the Genesis from 1995 through 1997. So they kind of flip-flopped. <laughs> They, they just switched at the end. <laughs> and uh, in 1990, Sega launched the Game Gear, a handheld console to compete with Nintendo's Game Boy. Uh, and the Game Gear was designed as a portable version of the Master System and featured a full-color screen in contrast to the monochrome Game Boy screen, which, um, if you're relatively young and you've played a Game Boy, you possibly might have not have seen the original Game Boy screens. Which were not colored at all, and they they didn't even light up, man. You had to like one of the accessories for the thing was a light bulb. Yeah, <laughs> it was like its own little lamp you could just plug into. Like it. you had to have a light on to see the screen. It was horrible. Like I remember trying to play that thing in like a car ride, oh, yeah. and it was like at night, and you couldn't see jack shit. And then, like you know, you get like the the Game Boy Advance and the Game Boy SP and everything like that. Just like wow, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, but due to the short battery life of the uh, Game Gear uh, and lack of original games and weak support from Sega, the Game Gear did not surpass the Game Boy, having sold approximately 11 million units. And uh, Sega launched the Mega CD in Japan on December 1st, 1991, initially retailing at uh, 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 Japanese yen uh, value of 49,800 yen. Uh, and the add-on uses CD-ROM technology. Uh, further features included a second, uh, faster processor, vastly expanded system memory, a graphics chip that performs scaling and rotation similar to Sega's arcade games, and another sound chip. Pretty much what the Mega CD was. It was like this little thing that you could just pop on top of your Genesis. It was a fucking Frankenstein. It really was. Because <laughs> there was so much shit you could just stick onto a Genesis. Yeah. Like... <laughs> You can make the thing look like it was on life support. <laughs> that's because that's kind of what it was. <laughs> but uh, in North America, it was renamed the Sega CD, uh, which everybody uh, in the U.S. might know about because, of course, uh, and launched uh, on October 15th, uh, 1992, with a retail price of U.S. dollar, uh, 299 U.S. dollars. So with tax, about $300. And it was released in Europe as uh, the Mega CD in 1993. Uh, the Mega CD sold only 100,000 units during its first year in Japan, falling well below expectations. As expected with Sega. 
Which that's crazy to think about that back back then in nineteen ninety two, that thing costed as much as like back when PS3s came out. Oh yeah. <laughs> and PS3s and the Xbox three sixties and shit were way better than this. Mm-hmm. Um so that's pretty high. <laughs> Uh, Throughout the early 1990s, Sega largely continued its success in arcades around the world. In 1992 and 1993, the new Sega Model 1 arcade system board showcased in-house development studio Sega AM2's Virtual Racing and Virtual Fighter, uh, the first uh, 3D fighting game, uh, which, uh, though expensive, played a crucial role in popularizing 3D uh, polygonal, polygonal, that's that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> popularizing 3D polygonal graphics, my bad. <laughs> uh, and in addition, complex uh, simulator equipment like the uh, rotational R360 kept Sega competing with machines by rival arcade companies, including Taito. <coughs> so, <coughs> that was pretty much one of their biggest things they had at this time. So think about it. If it wasn't for Sega, you wouldn't have had Ocarina of Time, probably. Possibly. <laughs> When we when nobody would have gotten Tekken. Yeah. Probably. Who wouldn't have had Tekken? Or Mario 64, maybe. Nope. Or Resident Evil 1. Fuck that game. Wow, now. <laughs> uh, squeak, squeak the brakes there. <laughs> um, so, new official region-specific distributors and manufacturers, including the UK's uh, Dice Leisure... I'm assuming that's how you say that, Um, allowed Sega to sell its machines outside of Japan with ease, and Sega's domestic operations uh, division was opened hundreds of of family-oriented suburban Sega World amusement arcades in Japan during uh, this period, as well as a large over-18s Geigo facilities in the uh, high-profile urban areas of Rapongi and Ike Bukuro, in, uh, in 1993, this success was mirrored in over, uh, overseas territories with the uh, openings of several large branded entertainment centers such as Sega Virtual Land and Luxor Las Vegas. Ooh. Yeah. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> but uh, in 1994, Sega generated a revenue of uh, 354000 uh, no, th- th- 354.032 billion yen. My bad. <laughs> or. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, oh, or 3.464 billion dollars. Yeah, equivalent to 6.048 uh, billion in 2020. Is that correct? Yeah. Equi- uh, equi- Fuck, that's a big number. Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, in nineteen ninety three the American media began to focus on the mature content of certain video games such as Night Trap for the Sega C D and the Genesis version of Midway's Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Uh it wasn't Night Trap that uh that movie that kind of played out, I mean, not that movie, but it's like a game that kind of played out like a movie and everything. Yeah, it had like the dudes and like the black clothes and everything. You had to like activate traps in the house to yeah. get rid of them. It was, it was like one of the first live action games. Yeah. And I'm glad it's like one of the only live action games because those are horrible. Um, 
this came at a time when Sega was capitalizing on its image as an edgy company <laughs> with attitude. Ooh. And this reinforced that image. Uh, and to handle this, Sega instituted the United States' first video game rating system, the Video Game Rating Console, or the VRC. And for all its systems, ratings ranged from a, the family-friendly GA rating to a more uh, mature rating of MA-13 and the adults-only rating MA-17. Not to be confused with the Mexican cartel MS-13. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh Executive Vice President of Nintendo of America, Howard Lincoln, was quick to point out in the United States Congressional hearings in 1993 that Night Trap was not rated at all. And Senator Joe uh, Lieberman called for another hearing in February 1994 to check progress toward a rating system for video game violence. After the hearing, Sega proposed the universal adoption of the VRC. Um, after objections by Nintendo and others, uh, Sega took a role in forming the uh, Entertainment Software Rating Bureau, which everybody knows as now as the ESRB. ESRB. Which, if it wasn't for Mortal Kombat, the ESRB would not have to have been a thing. Night Trap. And Night Trap was a lot more tame on release than it was whenever they were actually making it. Like, it was going to be way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they, thanks to Mortal Kombat, we have the ESRB. Yep. Which is understandable. Yes, it, it kind of deserved that. But I, th- I think that's a good place to stop for this. Uh, of course, these company episodes take a lot of shit, so they're usually going to be multiple parts. Uh, but So this is going to be the end of a part one here to Sega. And, uh, of course, we'll do two, uh, another part. And uh, if we don't have enough time for that, we might do a third. But, Which, oddly enough, we said that there wasn't much interesting shit that happened between Sega. I, I mean... But it, it's it's a lot of back and forth between Sega Enterprise... I mean, uh, Incorporated and Sega Limited. Yeah. There's a whole lot of back and forth with this company. It is ridiculous. Yeah, and it's a whole bunch of just little shit. Which it's, is, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more business than you think it is. Yeah. It's like their history is less focused on video games than others and more business. Yeah. Which unfortunately is important to the history of the company making their video games. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't even talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> because we only care about... In this podcast, we only care about the, the video games. The games themselves. But unfortunately, when it comes to Sega, the business has to do with the video games as well. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah. So, Sega so far... Whack. <laughs> Bold. I just don't like the idea that they, they they tried to be edgy and with attitude. And, yeah, but because you, like you, the, you have to fit the market. Though. Because that that was their whole shtick with the competing with Nintendo was the fact that like, uh, they 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 saw Nintendo as this childish thing. I mean, that's what a lot of people still see Nintendo as. Which yeah, I mean, thing. it's it's warranted. I mean, they make yeah. like somewhat childish video games. I mean, it wasn't <clears> until <throat> later they started getting somewhat more mature. But um, so that that somewhat. was that was like part of the thing. They were like. That it uh the 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 guy cats the guy cats during his thing where you know whenever he did the you know Sega does when a ten don't thing his thing one of his ideas for the marketing was uh all the younger kids have the Nintendos if you can sell the Sega to the older kids then the younger kids will look up to the older kids playing the Segas 
And then they'd want a Sega. As exactly. Well. That was their whole point. That's why they wanted to brand themselves as edgy and with attitude because it was the fucking 90s. <laughs> <laughs> everything was edgy. And everything had a fucking attitude. Just look at Spawn. Just look at the Crow. Just <laughs> look, at, look at everything. Marilyn Manson. Limp Biscuit. Combine. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um. Woo! <laughs> but I'll get get all right, but yeah, getting off of that, something I think interesting that we should do at the end of the next episode is actually read off some of our statistics. Yeah, because we've actually well, had... we we got some interesting uh, analytics and stuff on the podcast so far. We, we kind of want to share them and kind of kind of surprised and impressed. Yeah, I mean, we didn't think that this would escape the United States. Not this early. No, I mean, like, I was expecting like maybe a year or two. Yeah, but yeah, we're already outside of the United States. I mean, we got time. We can talk about it right now. Shit. Oh no, I, I think I'm about to have to leave here in a little bit. Oh man, we got a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> so. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, talk about it real quick, but basically, analytics-wise, uh, of course, our majority is in the U.S., but we actually have uh, some audience growing, uh, some audience in Mexico and Germany. Yeah, which is surprising. I I did not like. I could see Mexico. Yeah, but Germany is yeah, just I out of field. I don't know where the hell Germany came from on that. <laughs> and of course, uh, we. Uh, we run our podcast on the, uh, if you hear from the ads we have at the beginning of the episodes now. Which, uh, thank you, uh, Anchor, for y- that. Yes, thank you, Anchor, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> Anchor sponsored us, and uh, we run the podcast through Anchor. And, of course, you can listen to on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts and other major platforms. But right now, our uh, majority is on Spotify. <laughs> we have a, a small percentage in Anchor. We don't have any in other platforms just yet. And... Yeah, we wanted to get that out there because well, that, that was freaking crazy. Yeah, that and it's it, it's insane. And I can see what regions they listen from and everything too. And like in the U.S., I can go into it'll show me like what states. States, yeah. And I can go into the states and see what cities <laughs> that people are listening from. I think that's it's a little bit fucking dope. Yeah, it's, it's dope. <laughs> it's a little bit creepy at times. It's like oh. We have somebody from here. <laughs> it's just but, like, just call random numbers. It's like, you, you know what? They're like, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, uh, I'm pretty sure our our listener base has dipped uh, since the first episode, uh, mainly because me and Trev had to take that break from both being sick, um, which was like two weeks of no episodes. Yeah. But um, we're hopefully, we're trying to build back up to where we get as many plays on as we did on that first episode and hopefully keep that a consistent uh, thing. Because uh, right now we, we have 99 plays total on uh, the podcast as a whole. And uh, we'd like to grow that and get more of an audience. So oh, yeah. if uh, I know we haven't really said this, uh, but I don't know if we've really said this before. But, I mean, if you uh, know anybody that listens to podcasts or if you... Uh, anybody that just likes video games in general. Yeah, likes video games or, like, maybe want to know, know some of the history of video games and everything, just... Uh, you know, give us a shout out to them if you if you don't mind, and uh, we'd appreciate that greatly. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, but uh, anyway, so I think that pretty much wraps everything up. We feel like giving a little bit of that little bit of information, but this has been another episode of Auto Say Disabled. As always, I'm your host Caleb Center. And this is me, Trevor King Thick, and we will see you in the next episode. Later, people. <laughs>